0: The following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 1015 or check us out at DearingChristian.org. Have you ever said these words before to perhaps your spouse or perhaps your mom or your dad if you're in those teenage or even latter years? I will never forget my phone again. Have you ever said that? It's interesting how... um, I didn't get my first cell phone until I was 25 years old, all right? Yes, they did have cell phones, Mike, um, long about the time, you know, later in my life, I guess. <laughs> it wasn't a wind-up cell phone, no, it was not. Um, but these days, cell phones are just like everything. I mean, I, if I, like, leave the house and I don't have a cell phone in the car with me, I, like, feel like, oh, what if I break down? I drove for a lot of years without a cell phone. But it's funny how that works. And I have gotten, I mean, I have perf- perfected the skill of forgetting my cell phone. All right? As those of you, many of you know, I, I'm, this time of year I like, I love Thanksgiving, um, but I love it for more reasons than one. Uh, I love it because it's also deer season. It's not just Thanksgiving season. And, and I, like, I like to go hunt. And um, I have been told by my wife many times, do not forget your phone. I've left my phone on the toolbox on the back of the truck. I've left my phone on the tire of the vehicle as I sat it there to get ready, you know, change. Because I never wear my clothes that I'm going to wear. and It's a long story, okay? So um, I, I've left the phone on top of my car. You name it, I've left the phone there, and then I get to where I'm going, and I realize the phone, last week, I put my bow on top of the car, I put my phone on top of the bow, and somehow, I got to the stand with my bow and not the phone, I don't even know how I did it, and the phone was sitting on top of the car, all right? It's it's like bad and it's getting worse. You know what? I got back to my truck the other night after actually the truck wasn't running. <laughs> That's a long story. Okay, um, so I was in my car though, um, and and I had the bow in my hand, and how much information do I give here? Okay, I needed to use the restroom. I'm just say that. Okay, it's it's. There's nobody around, okay? There's no outhouse there. You just use a tree, all right? So anyway, so I took my bow, and in my mind, I thought, I'm not going to put my bow behind the car, because I've heard about people running over their bow before. So I set the bow beside the car, went over, yeah, and then got into my car and drove off, leaving the bow that I had just thought I'm not going to put behind the car so I don't forget it and run over I mean, we're talking 25 seconds here. I walk past the bow, somehow not stepping on it, get into the car and drive away. And then call my buddy who lives three miles from where I was hunting to go get my bow for me. All right? It's getting bad. But this is the issue. It's always been bad for me. I have always been a forgetful person. Always. I was born that way, I think. And it's interesting as we enter this time of year, thinking about as we, we jump into habits, it's how soon we forget things. And one of the best ways to not forget how to do something, a little piece of advice, is really profound here, okay? Is to practice. Right? Because the more you practice doing something, the less likely you are to forget. And the question that kept on coming into my mind this week, preparing for this Sunday, as it is Thanksgiving week, is this. Is it possible to forget the art and the skill of Thanksgiving? Is it possible to forget that? Luke chapter 17, we're going to begin in verse 11, and this is kind of what's going on. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. And what that means is, this journey to Jerusalem, he would leave the town after being taken off a cross. Okay? So this is his last journey to Jerusalem before the cross. As he's making his way towards Jerusalem with kind of his crowd, um, he passes between Samaria and Galilee, and he meets up with an interesting collection of men. There are nine men that have a lot in common. There's one man that has nothing in common with those nine. Nine of them were Jews. One of them was a Samaritan. And, and that's like oil and water. They did not get along. But they were drawn together by a mutual illness disease, the disease of leprosy. These ten lepers. Um, leprosy, these days, is called Hansen's disease. That is not, Hansen's disease is, is like a nerve problem. Where somewhat like diabetes, in later stages of diabetes, if it's out of control, where you lose the sensitivity and fingers and toes and that sort of, sort of thing, ends up in disfigurement of those parts of the body because you cannot feel them. That's Hansen's disease. What we're talking about here in Jesus' day, leprosy, was not the same thing. This is an infectious skin disease. And it was... It was not only an infectious skin disease that, that would cause somebody to be ostracized from the rest of the community as well as their families, it was also very closely connected by the people of that society, the Jews specifically, with sin. If you're a leper, you must, you must be a sinner and you're being punished for your sin. Um, this disease was incurable. Absolutely, positively, and curable without the intervention of God. And it just so happened to have been almost 700 years since God last intervened when it came to leprosy that we have recorded in our word. Alright. So we're dealing with 10 men here in Luke 17 beginning with verse 11 who are in a bad, bad way. So we're going to read through that together. And as we make our way through this, I'm just going to make some comments, a little bit about what's going on here. Um, Provide a little more, hopefully, insight. All right, without chasing too many squirrels. We'll see what happens. Luke 17, beginning with verse 11. While he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village... Ten leprous men stood at a, who stood at a distance met him. Now understand, they stood at a distance for a reason. Because a leper was required by the law to scream, unclean, unclean, if anybody got close to them. And they were not allowed to get close to anyone except for fellow lepers. So they stood at a distance from Jesus. It says in verse 13, "They raised their voices saying, "Jesus, master, have mercy on us." And I have to ask myself, what were they necessary what were they looking for from Jesus? Were they, were they wanting Him just to show them some compassion because nobody would? Were they wanting a miracle? Were they wanting cured? What were they wanting from Jesus? After all, he's a prophet, he's a healer. Maybe perhaps they did want healing and they thought that he could do it. Or maybe perhaps they just heard about Jesus who was not afraid to touch sinners, because that's what they were seen as by society. Regardless, they called out to Jesus. And in verse 14, it says, When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, does that sound kind of interesting? Now, Jesus is just telling them to do what the Bible says to do back in Deuteronomy when it came to this leprosy thing, okay? But this is the issue. Jesus told them to do something while they were still what? Lepers. Guys, there's no way they're going to get within three city blocks of the priests, right? Right? But Jesus says, Go show yourself to the priests. That doesn't make any sense, but what does it say they do? As they were going, they were cleansed. You know the last guy to be healed by leprosy? His name was Naaman. You can read about him in the Old Testament. And he too was, like the Samaritan, a foreigner. And he traveled halfway across the world to get to this guy named Elisha so that he could be healed from his leprosy. And he probably expected some, because he would heard that, that this Elisha was a prophet of the mighty God. All right, and, and he probably had in his mind some extravagant ritual that he would have to go through in order to be cured from his leprosy. Elisha told Naaman, go wash yourself in the Jordan River. Go wash yourself. Seven times, thank you. Just go wash yourself. And Naaman is furious. He's like, I traveled halfway across the world. I've seen that dumb river. we got a lot prettier rivers where I come from, okay? So I traveled all the way over here. And it's interesting because it's Naaman's servant who tells him, Uh, Master, if he had told you something difficult to do, would you do it? He told you something simple to do. Why not do it and see what happens? And he did it. On the seventh time up out of the water, his skin was restored like the skin of a newborn baby. These men are told by Jesus to go see the priests. They're not even going to get close to the priests. There's no way. They're lepers. But they went anyway. And what happened? On the way, they were cleansed. Now, one of them, verse 15, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at the feet of Jesus, giving thanks to him. Now, I got a question for you. How many men were there? Ten. How many went back? What were the other nine doing? They were going to do what? See the priest. What did Jesus tell them to do? Were they doing anything wrong? They were doing exactly what they were told. And yet, one of them, who was a Samaritan, and now he wasn't getting close to the priests, because now he wasn't a leper anymore, but he's a Samaritan. He just doesn't disobey, he doesn't. He just does something better than obey. Does that make any sense? It wasn't the priests who healed these men. It was Jesus. He turned in his tracks. Went straight back to Jesus. And this is the crazy part. The whole way glorifying God with a loud voice. And he got to Jesus and he fell on his face at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. This man was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, we're not... Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Where, where, where are they? It's interesting to me that Jesus asks that question. He follows it with this. He says, Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? You see, it's, it's entirely possible in life. I want you to listen to this very closely, okay? It's entirely impossible, possible in life to do All the right things and still miss Jesus. But this man did not miss Jesus. Jesus said to him in verse 19. Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. What an incredible story. Of thanksgiving. This man had his life transformed. He can go home and see his family again. He no longer has to cry out, unclean, unclean, when somebody gets within 50 yards of him. And the one that he owes all his gratitude to was the man, Jesus. Jesus makes me wonder what happens with those other nine men. I don't know. We don't get the rest of the story. All we get of the story is this Samaritan, this outcast to the Jews. But one thing that is very important to, I think to all of us should be out of this story is this. To Jesus... Being God's son, so I think Jesus and God are kind of on the same page with, yeah, just about everything. And it seems like thanksgiving and gratitude are important to God. And the question that I know, if you've never thought about this before, you've been close to thinking about it before. All right, maybe, maybe you're not a cynical person at all, and this thought has never entered your mind. And if that is you, hallelujah, amen, don't ever change. But here's the question, if you do have a little cynicism in you, like me. Does God need our thanks? Think about this for a moment. If there is somebody that you know, an acquaintance, a friend, a family member, whoever, that they are not happy if they are not shown some gratitude for something they have done, in what ways do you think of that person? I've got one word that pops into my brain. Insecure. Is that what you think? I mean, if somebody has to be thanked for everything that they do or they're upset about it, I'm thinking, are they really doing what they're doing for the right reasons? And then we transfer that to God and it's like, whoa. Does God command us to be thankful because he is insecure about his identity? I don't think so. I just don't think that's the case. But the question remains, why Thanksgiving? Why is it so important? So today what we are going to look at, here you go, is the why of Thanksgiving. Because of turkey, and we all love turkey, that's why Thanksgiving, right? No, I'm not referring to a national holiday. I'm referring to a way of life, a condition of the heart. Why Thanksgiving? Number one, because Thanksgiving is what God deserves. It's what God deserves. We must be aware that when we view God, we view God through the lens of people, people lenses, the lens of humanity, all right? So, and that's why I asked you about God being insecure because that's the way that we think of other people. If someone always needs to be thanked for what they do, we see them as somebody who is on a certain level insecure. That's just the way that we think. But when we view God, it's entirely different. God's on like a whole different level. All right? Because of this, thanksgiving shown to God has nothing to do with God's worth or his self-esteem. God has no self-esteem problems, I can assure you. All right? God Deserves our thanksgiving because he is perfect. When it comes to God. There is no going to him and say well thank you for trying. I mean because I know we've said that to people before. Have we not? Because they they tried really hard to help us out. and And their efforts were. A failure, okay? I mean, it's happened to all of us, and we've been in both shoes before, all right? It's like, I know you meant good when you just said that to me. Thanks for trying, all right? Because <laughs> I don't feel much better after you just said that, all right? Uh, or, or maybe something that was done. That's not what I needed at all. I mean, I can think of a few times when I was 8 years old that, you know, probably 8 all the way to 18, where I tried to help my dad with a project, and he's just like, the best way you can help me right now is just go inside, okay? Thank you for trying. But when it comes to God, there is no thanks for trying because He's perfect. He never fails. He never messes up. And He deserves our thanks. But that's not the end of it. Why thanksgiving? Because thanksgiving is his desire for our lives. It's his will, if you will, for our lives. Turn to Thessalonians 5.18 if, if, if you'd like. We've only got a couple more scriptures we're going to look at today. And this, this is a powerful one. I'll give you some time to get there. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. You've got... Five T's right there near the end of the New Testament. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and Titus. Right. This is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. It's more of a region than just a church. But as he's wrapping up his letter, he's giving them just some practical daily advice of, of what they need to do. Okay, he does. He's, 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 this is pretty much his habit when he's writing churches. And, and we're going to look at verse 18, but I'm going to back up to verse 16. So 1 Thessalonians, you guys don't need to throw it up above, Zach, that's fine. Um, just be ready with 18. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. This is what Paul says. He says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And then verse 18. In everything give thanks. And what follows that. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In what are we to give thanks? What's it say? Everything. Give thanks. You know, I just touched on this a little bit. You know, I, I, I didn't draw the big, big picture here because we don't have time for it. I just grabbed a little bit and piece here and a little, a little bit piece here. Um, Hebrews 12 tells us to not despise the discipline of the Lord because the Lord, just like earthly good fathers, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. I'm going to tell you something. Discipline, not fun all the time. All right? Discipline is not simply punishment. Discipline is training. And training is not always enjoyable, okay? But the writer of Hebrews tells us not only to not despise it, but to welcome it, to be thankful for it, because it is the proof that he is our Father. And then you jump over into Romans chapter 5, where it goes way overboard and it says, We rejoice, we exult, we give thanks. For our tribulations. Now that's what it says in the New American Standard. I looked up some others as well. Trials, problems, sufferings. We give thanks. That is just crazy. And it sounds so counterintuitive to the way that we're raised in this life. But we're told by Paul at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give thanks in everything. Even the stuff that sometimes hurts. Thanksgiving is written all over the Bible. Why? Because it's God's desire for our lives. Why? Is it again because God needs our thanksgiving? No. We're gonna get the wise the of the wise in these last two. All right? why of thanksgiving, number three, gratitude empowers faith. Gratitude empowers faith. Sometimes it's so easy to forget the good that God did yesterday. Last year, two years ago, ten years ago, thirteen years ago, almost fourteen, when I met my wife. Eleven years ago when our first daughter was brought into the world. Nine years ago when the next one. Thirty-four years ago, when my grandma, when I was seven years old, went home to be with Jesus. You know, it's so easy to forget about the good that God did yesterday sometimes. And if we do not practice that... It can become difficult to live today by faith. Do you know what grows faith? I know what you're going to say. Well, the power of God. Absolutely the power of God. But we've got a little something to do with growing faith, too. And I'll tell you what it is it's a thankful heart. God, I'm not sure what you're going to do with this situation that I find myself in right now, but I remember what you did five years ago, and I thank you for it. I remember what you did 29 years ago, when the blood of your son covered my sin and made me brand new. And the God who does that can take care of today too. Gratitude empowers faith. Number four. I wish, maybe we should have flip-flopped three and four, you know. But sometimes when you end with what you shouldn't do, it sticks with us a little more. You know what I mean? Parents are so good at that. So good at that. Grumbling is incompatible with faith. Any moms and dads out there say hallelujah. JB talked about the car ride to the Thanksgiving meal. How many of your car rides to Thanksgiving meal included a little bit of grumbling and complaining? Anybody? Anybody? Grumbling and complaining is way on the other side of the balancing scale from thankful hearts and gratitude, all right? I mean, it's like, it's like as far as the east is from the west, okay? Grumbling complaining over here. Thankfulness and gratitude over here. And man, they are a long ways away. And it's amazing, though, how they can still affect one another. <laughs> Turn to Romans 121. Romans one twenty one. Paul wrote this to the Roman church, and because in his letter to the Roman church he didn't really have any major problem to discuss. Those of you part of Wednesday night Romans class understand this. It gave him the opportunity to just kind of start talking and start teaching. And the first eleven chapters of Romans is about. The, the Gospel all about the Gospel and um, the Gospel always begins with an, our need for for life, for salvation all right so so Paul paints a pretty bleak picture in Romans chapter one and Romans two all the way through halfway through Romans three. this is what it says this is speaking of the world it says this: for they did not for even though they knew God they did not honor him as God or what? Give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And we're going to stop reading there, but I can tell you the remainder of chapter 1 of Romans is ugly. Ugly. And it all began with people refusing to acknowledge God, or do what? Give thanks to Him. Grumbling is incompatible with faith. So what does all of this mean? What is the why of thanksgiving? The why of thanksgiving, why God tells us to be thankful, is in reality. It has nothing to do with his self-esteem. It has to do with us. He gives us the command for us. You know... um, the, the Bayless family has a tradition that's gone on for many, many years of, of once the Thanksgiving meal is, is done and the turkey is doing its thing, all right? You don't go take a nap yet. You don't go get in a deer stand yet. What you do is you go around the table and you tell why you are thankful for what God has done in the past year. And as the grandkids continue to get a little bit older, they've gotten more and more involved in this. To the level of the past couple of years, they get to do theirs first, all right? And then the adults take over, okay? And it gets emotional, all right? And it takes a while. I mean, it really, really, really takes a while. And it's interesting to see how much thought that us adults put into this, The kiddos, they don't put hardly any thought into it. They're boom, 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 boom. Even the youngest ones, all right? Boom, boom, it's there. There's no thought process trying to say, okay, what am I going to say I'm thankful for this year? Because it's got to be good. I need to, what am I going to say? With those kiddos, they just start spilling their guts. Is Caleb or Seth thankful? Was Seth thankful for spiders? Seth thankful for spiders. I mean, I'll tell you what. The kids went and were done in about a minute and 45 seconds. The adults went for two and a half hours almost, all right? And the kids, it's just like boom, boom, boom. I'm thankful for this. 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 One after the other, and all I can think of is man, they're good at this. They don't need to practice, they don't need to take notes. It just comes out. They're so good at this. You know why? Because they do it all the time. You ever prayed with a kiddo? Pray with a kiddo, you never get to prayer requests. Because by the time they're done thanking God, you're asleep. Thank you, God, for this. 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 Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. They do it all the time. And what did Jesus tell all the adults around him? He said, you want to be great in my kingdom? He said, you become like this little guy right here in my lap. Because this child knows what trust and faith is all about. And this child has not yet been warped by this world into a person who has to work at gratitude. You want to be great, my kingdom? That's what you're going to be. We have so much to be thankful for, for Some of us had more difficult years than others. Some of us have more difficult years than others up ahead of us. And yet, every one of us still has so much to be thankful for. Our God took our sins upon his shoulders and died on a cross in our place so that we can live forever. We have so much to be thankful for. I don't know if we're going to eat turkey in heaven. All I know is this. We will be thankful. Every moment of every whatever there's going to be. <laughs> just crazy when you think about time without end. No time. It's just forever. And we will never get tired of looking into the eyes of our God saying thank you I don't deserve to be here but you put me here thank you